Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Back in the studio for a few shows we're recording here, and uh, this is going to be a good one because Jess Chadwick is here, and uh, we're going to hear all about Razor, <laughs> Razor. what's old and what's new. But before that, I, I was sent a Better Know a Framework suggestion, which is a YouTube video. I don't often do YouTube videos, but this one is from Ben Brandt, and he basically shows how he made a programmable box joint jig, you know, to cut wood with a jig using a Raspberry Pi. That's awesome. And that is at 1475.pwop.me. I'm just going to take a minute so that Richard can watch this video, and we'll pause this, and we'll come back after you've watched it. <laughs> what do you think of that, <laughs> Richard? That's very cool, my friend. It's, <laughs> it's cool. But yeah, you get to mix electronics and, and, a, and a table saw once, and then you have shrapnel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's pretty no, cool I that, you know, a few hundred dollars and, and a table saw, and you've got what essentially would cost probably thousands of dollars in a professional. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it is does take some tinkering and care and feeding. When you think about sure. a a professional setup where the electronics all have to be hardened and so forth, you can understand why this stuff's so expensive. Yeah, uh, it is interesting to see that the general purpose computing stuff like Raspberry Pis are now so inexpensive that yeah. it's cheaper than any of the other embedded solutions. Yeah, like, agreed. And that just sort of changes the game. It means that. Hey, I have a web server in my table saw. Like, like that, that's that's I think the place we're going to end up. Everything has an IP address. Everything is logged <laughs> on. Everything. Don't connect your teapots, people. Just uh, saying. Uh, I've met some pretty interesting teapots recently, where you literally <laughs> tell the teapot what kind of tea you want to make, and it boils accordingly. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Not a fan. You just don't. Have you don't have an appropriate appreciation of tea, I, I believe. I suppose not. You and Stephen Fry, <laughs> gadget guys. Yeah. That's a cool one, dude. Nice yeah, line. That's what I got. Who's talking to us, buddy? Grabbed a comment off of show 1470, the one we did with Barry Dorans at NDC. As I recall, it was on the last day, so we were well into the whiskey. I believe we were. Yes, we were. So, And Barry enjoys a... a, a a tipple or two and so i think we're about half in the bag by halfway through this show <laughs> but it was a good I'm show talking, though 
it, it was a fun show. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we had good, you know, how much fun can security really be? Well, too, we made right? it as fun as it could possibly be. And that's basically the comment that we got on the show. This is from Subiek, who said, I woke up this morning and looked at my podcast downloads and saw a new dot that rocks with Troy Hunt. I was super excited. The guy is just incredible. He's handsome, funny, smart, and a fabulous house with a great view. And he lets me know when my accounts have been pwned. He sure is amazing. <laughs> Wait a second. Where's Troy? Yeah. Security at ASP.net. This is obviously a Troy Hunt show. This is literally how the comment is written. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this other guy? <laughs> <laughs> and then finished with, that was a great show. I love when you guys get silly. Please have Barry on more often. Absolutely. We promise. Well, and you know, Subiex not wrong. We tend to have Troy on to talk about security stuff, but it's, you know, it's great to have Barry on as well, which we do clearly don't do often enough. He is in the process of defining what security in ASP.NET Core looks like in right. the future. You know, it's it's a big deal. And coincidentally, I mean, after we record this show, I ended up spending a whole day with Barry when we were in uh, Melbourne, Australia together. Oh, cool. And lots of conversations about, uh, about the security models and just the challenges of what developers need versus... You know, the optimal security is literally a blank wall that nobody can get through. So right. anything more than than impenetrable, like uh, unable to get through at all, is a compromise in security. Where does that compromise live? How convenient mm -hmm. does it have to be versus how powerful it needs to be? So like, yeah. it was. it's fun. You know, security guys come across as grumpy, you know. Or maybe just not a whole lot of fun. Well, because they, they work on a hard problem and a problem I think a lot of people just see as an obstacle. Mm -hmm. So, it was it was enjoyable for me to spend enough time with Barry to go, ah, you know, really thinking hard about the problem. And uh, I think we're all going to benefit. Uh, so, thanks to Barry and thanks to Sobiek because uh, without your comment, I wouldn't get to talk about this. So, a .NET Rocks <laughs> mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We miter the edges to decrease storage requirements. <laughs> 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 you can stack more of them when they're diagonally cut. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Let's bring on our guest today, Jess Chadwick. He is a lynda.com author. Host of the Static Void podcast. Great name. I love that name. <laughs> Founding board member of the Tech Bash Developer Conference and a dev manager and architect at one of the two largest banks in the United States. But more importantly, he's a coder with over 20 years of experience writing and actually shipping software with a variety of teams in a variety of environments from two-person startups to 200,000-person enterprises. Welcome, Jess. Thanks. Glad, glad to be here. And you are another one of these guys who's been listening to .NET Rocks for a long time and then became a guest. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I know. I, early on, I wouldn't miss an episode because that that's where I learned about all the new and upcoming stuff. Basically, that's where I learned what I needed to learn in order to get better. And now I just listen just to, to stay on top of things. Oh, that's great. You know, the crazy part is that I sent him a LinkedIn message, I don't know, 2013? Yeah. <laughs> Saying, End of 2015, yep. hey, you know, I've been reading your stuff for a while and I thought uh, maybe we should uh, do the show together. And he replied to me, I don't know, last month. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find I it? Said, I mean, pardon the uh, five year delay, but 
Yeah. Oh, I was stuck in my spam folder, dude. Yeah, Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard had reached out to me and said, what are you working on? And at that point, I was working 80-hour a week, so I didn't really even have time to reply to that question. So yeah, yeah. now things have calmed down a little bit. Well, what are you doing these days? So what I'm doing these days, um, I'm working at a place that I can't actually specifically say where I work, but one of the nice. two largest banks. And uh, I lead a dev team, and I'm also kind of driving, helping to drive one of many people. It's a big organization, so I can't say I'm driving it, but one of many to drive the uh, transformation. They're calling it DevOps, but you know, just mm-hmm. automating every step of the SDLC, um, seeing where we can leverage containers, just all embracing all of the new stuff, which is pretty, pretty desperately needed. Yes. You know, we're, we're a little bit behind and, and trying to catch up, and so far, it's, it's doing pretty well. Oh, that's great. And so the topic here is new Razor pages, or at least that's our working topic. Yes, yes. So Razor is, is something that some of us, uh, most of us, I think, I would hope anyway, have some experience with. But where do you want to start? So, well, I want to start by differentiating Razor and Razor pages because that's one of the biggest thing. Um, it was it was funny when I when I was first looking into Razor pages, I pinged the ASP insiders list. Uh, you know, the the group of folks who have been deeply involved with ASP.NET and the .NET framework for years and years. And I asked a question, something about how do you authenticate a Razor page? Because I, I couldn't find anything in the API, I couldn't find anything on the docs. And uh, a couple people, more than one person, wrote back and said, hey, you just write a controller action and you return a view. And then, you know, you put authorize on the MVC controller action. I said, no, 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 no. Yeah. Razor pages, not Razor, right? So okay. that's the first thing. Razor pages is a new feature in .NET Core 2.0. So it's ju- that just released. As of this recording, it just just released uh, a couple of last week, I think, okay. it was the RTM. All right. And so it's it's out live now. It's it's uh, you know, it's fully baked. Has its roots in the Razor language, obviously. E- exactly. So the name Razor Pages comes from Razor. So you use the Razor syntax, the Ra- Razor language, the Razor view engine, whatever you want to call it. Yep. But yep. basically, up until now, when you've been using Razor, you've been using it in the context of an ASP.NET MVC app. It is the V in your ASP.NET MVC. Yes, right. And so you generally return that view from a controller action. And what Razor Pages does is says, let's get rid of all that that ceremony, right? Let's get rid of, if you have just a simple page, how many times have you written a controller action that all it does is say return view? Return view, right. right. That, yeah. that is the, the primary target. It's not the only target or the only scenario, but that is the, the most optimal scenario where you're saying, why are we creating a controller? Why are we creating an action? Why are we doing the MVC when mm. all I want is the V? All I want right. is the view. Right. Uh, and so that's kind of where Razor Pages has its roots. Make it really easy to produce content and use Razor in order to do that, right? So you can still have programmability in your views you can still create dynamic views and you can still have access to the really awesome razor view engine and the razor syntax but without creating controllers and all that stuff so i mean basically the, the way that it works is you create a new .cshtml page just the same as you would today instead of putting it in a views folder you're putting it in a pages folder and out of out of the box that just kind of maps to that name in the URL, right? So under pages, okay. if you say pages slash home or or about.cshtml, and then you go to your site, mysite.com slash about, the routing is just kind of there. And it's all part of the default MVC routing. And so that's the interesting part is that this is built on top of MVC. 
Right. So you actually, you create a new MVC app, <laughs> but you don't have any of the controller folders or view folders or any of that MVC stuff, but all of the libraries and everything are still there when and if you need them. And this is just kind of a simpler model on top of that. Well, I always thought that using Razor as a, you know, view in the context of MVC was kind of like putting two things together. Like MVC is really yep. something that is great for static pages and it's great for serving up content. But as far as interactive stuff, it, 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 it's kind of like, what, why do I need to do all that? Yeah. Right? That, that's the really interesting thing because I, uh, I've been diving into razor pages lately and razor pages is very cool to solve those pretty basic scenarios. Those scenarios where you don't necessarily need that huge separation of concerns, the loose coupling and separation of concerns that MVC is really good right. at. And you really, on that spectrum of tightly coupled to loosely coupled, you're more toward the tightly coupled side and you're totally fine mm. because it's really not that advanced, right? Or right. There, are, there are folks who are really, they say, you know, loose coupling, at least in that regard, it's not really necessary for these, these types of scenarios. Right. They're not disregarding right. loose coupling altogether, but they're saying eh, it's a little bit of overkill. Well, you see this, you see this happen over and over again, right? When a really good sound architectural design hits, gets very popular and you have yep. the dogmatic people that are, you know, you must do this and it's good because it does force those constraints on you. Yep. But then, you know, over time people get to see, oh, you know, we could actually do this a lot easier and better without, without so many layers Yeah. or without, or without so much of it. Yeah. Well, so it's very interesting. In in the beginning when it was in beta and there was there was literally one page of docs on the Microsoft site. If you went down, because now on the Microsoft docs, you can actually post comments. And Thanks, Bill Wagner. Bottom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> down at the bottom, there, there was a whole bunch of comments uh, saying, you know, 80% of them were, oh my God, burn this with fire. This is awful. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's people who are just really, really used to the MVC design pattern. And right. I think that you know, MVC came along, ASP.NET MVC came along, kind of overshadowed web forms because there was a lot of pain in dealing with web forms. Web mm -hmm. forms really had its roots in the whole drag and drop, you know, make sure. it easy for those VB6 developers to get on the web. And right. Don't worry about the HTML. We'll, we'll render all that for you. Pay right. no attention to that view state behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. But then you get things like view state and a lot of things that, you know, in, in, uh, in nice terms, you could say, oh, they're not so great. In bad terms, you know, just, just complete awful. You know, yeah. like I, that not stuff that you want, not scalable, you know, a whole lot yeah, of bad things. It's only awful if, if people use it. As long as nobody goes <laughs> right. on your site, it works like a hot damn. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And one of the big complaints, especially for me personally with web pages, was it wasn't testable. You know, yeah. you, you always had to do browser automation to actually test this stuff. Sure. Um, and so MVC came along and it, 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 I don't know if it solved all those problems, but it really helped a lot. Did. And it really encouraged that better separation of, of concerns by default. Yep. You know, we're, we're going to create this model view controller for you. That's how the framework works. You should put your code in the controller and mm -hmm. keep your views simple. There's nothing saying that you can't, right? Like a good, you can write bad code in a good framework and good code in a bad framework. But what's uh, what Kate Gregory's line is Microsoft. It's your foot. Right, <laughs> exactly. I think C plus plus, but I think yeah. it can. I can't think it can apply to a lot of things these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, it's a tool. Yeah, well, I think if you get too opinionated, so that people just can't do things, then they won't use it because it's too restrictive. You've got to leave them enough freedom to do something stupid, and then encourage them not to do it. Well, exactly. the JavaScript is a prime example of that, right? JavaScript doing something stupid. Okay, no, no. Well, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> when I think of separation of concerns, JavaScript isn't the first thing that comes to mind. You know what I'm right. saying? I mean, you mm-hmm. have global variables. They all live in the view. I mean, talk about non-separation. And that didn't stop JavaScript from becoming really powerful, really prevalent, and, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Ubiquitous. Sure. Right. And, and so it's, it's all about what's productive, right? That's the interesting right. thing is that... Yeah you can argue productivity for both sides. In the beginning, when you're just trying to get that minimal thing out the door, productive is throwing away all these patterns and architecture and everything and just getting the thing written. And -hmm. then over time, you collect that debt and all of a sudden, it's not so productive. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the interesting thing. And my take on Razor Pages after after doing it for a couple months now is uh, I, I think it tends to encourage tighter coupling. Right. I kind of already said hmm. that, but well, wait a minute. Now you're talking about razor pages, razor, razor pages. Yes. Right, right, right. So razor pages, not, not razor in MVC, but razor pages. Now you told us how easy it was, but I'm still trying to figure out what a razor page might look like. Okay. Right. So let's back up a little bit. Um, so a razor page is just the CSHTML file, just sitting there. Like you have, you could have a project of just CSHTML files, in those files, you can write some code blocks, and those code blocks can do whatever you want them to do, right? They can, they can go and, and call a database, just like, just like in, in classic ASP, right? And you're talking s- server-side code blocks. This is server-side. This is all, yes. Razor Pages is a server-side rendering framework, just like Razor in MVC, just Got like it. MVC is a server-side framework. Okay. Razor is, is all happening on the, on the, on the server. Now, I know, I mean, some listeners might be confused because uh, Steve Sanderson just came on, you know, on one right. of the recent episodes <laughs> talking about Blazor. This is, this is not anything to do yeah, with that. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Nope. <laughs> right, this, this is real actual production stuff happening now. And so this is just kind of a, a arguably more productive way of doing MVC. So you create just that view, right? And right. because it's dynamic, because it's server-side, you are going to want to write some code and you are going to maybe, you know, uh, contact a database, pull some data out of a database, maybe save some data back to a database, those kind of scenarios. And so that's the kind of stuff that you're doing kind of right in the page. Now, it reminds me of another technology. What was it? What was it? What was it? ASP. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you don't want to do that, right? You don't want to do that. You don't want to put it all on your CSHTML. You can if you want to. You don't want to. Right. So they have a concept of a, let's, let's see a C-sharp file hmm. right next to the, 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 the page, the a Razor page. code behind, perhaps. Uh-huh. Code, yeah, yeah, right. You, okay. you might say it's code next to or perhaps behind the mm-hmm. page, right? <laughs> I see. This is a fascinating Nearby. idea. <laughs> so it, the mechanics of this start to actually look a little bit like MVC, but not exactly, right? So You, you en- mean ASP, ASP.NET? A- ASP.NET MVC. MVC, yes, yeah. Yes. And so you end up making a class. It's not a controller with actions. It mm-hmm. is a class that is the model or, or the back end to that page. So that's where we're talking about tight coupling, right? Right. And so you, you put all your code in there. And that class is just a class. It, it derives from a base class that's mm-hmm. part of the, the Razor Pages framework. But when we're talking about testing, testability, just create a new instance of that class and start calling methods, that, that kind of thing, right? I get it. So the class can exist without the view, but not the other way around. Exactly. Exactly. And so now, then you jump back into that Razor view that had all of that logic in there, calling the database and everything, copy and paste that, you know, cut that out of the view, paste it in there, map it back into your view. And now your view just has one line. It says, my model 
and this is the app model, exactly like in Razor in, uh, in, in MVC, my model for this page is this page model. That's what it's called, a Razor pages. Mm-hmm. Page model is the base class. And so that base class has a number of conventions. Uh, so you can start, you can put properties on it. It is just a class, right? It's a C-sharp right. class. Right. So you can put properties on it to, uh, to access in the view just like you would when you're creating your your view models or the models that you send to your views in in MVC, mm-hmm. but the the conventions really come into play when we're talking about methods. So if you these methods are very much kind of like web API methods, and they're very tightly referencing the the HTTP methods that are being called. Right. right so well, you make this is getting really fascinating, but I gotta ask you to pause right there because it's a perfect time to hear from our sponsor. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. What? Isn't this a .NET show? Yeah. .NET runs on the Google Cloud platform, man. Everything in .NET? You bet. All the .NET core libraries and more, including 200-plus Google.com and cloud services. Hey, John Skeet's behind it. He's a genius. The John Skeet? The Rescue the Princess John Ski from Stack Overflow? <laughs> yeah, the one and only. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine, which is Google's hosted Kubernetes environment, and it runs like, well, Google. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. I'm reading it now. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. Yep. You can get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. Also, there are PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And if you need help, there are a great set of partners to get workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. .NET on Google. Who knew? And we're back. This is .NET Rocks, and uh, we're talking to Jess Chadwick about new Razor pages. And I left you right in the middle where you were talking about methods. Yes, yes. So these page models have a lot of good conventions that are really kind of tightly coupled to or or, or bound to uh, the idea of HTTP methods. So when you request a web page, that's a get, right? HTTP get. And so you can put a method on your page model class, your class that derives from the page model, that says on get, right? And so all of the code in that method will execute when this this page, this razor page, is requested with a get. Likewise, if you post back to that same page, you can have another method on post, on delete, on on, on put, right? Now, all of these, these HTTP methods. And so that's kind of how the model works, right? And so when we're talking about a full-fledged development model, when you're actually not just serving content and retrieving content and data from the server, but actually being able to send content back, edit, edit data, you know, save data back to the database, right. you have this, this kind of full round trip. So it is not web forms because most notably because it's lacking that binding. Sure. You know, those, those user controls and the binding, right. that was all very powerful stuff. So it still is much more tightly or, or much more closely related to Razor in MVC mm. because you're still having to write all of that HTML yourself. Or in other words, you, you've got full control of the HTML right. uh, that you're writing for better or worse. But it sounds like it's more set up to do JavaScript, Ajax calls with JSON into the gets and the puts and, and the deletes and all that stuff that exists right in that page. Exactly. So that's the interesting thing, though. 
I mean, generally with this model, you're still preferring these kind of full page postbacks, right. for lack of a better term. You know, I don't want to, I don't yeah, want to yeah, use yeah. a web forms term, but you're posting back, right? You're you're creating, you're not using the web forms postback. You are creating a form, an sure. HTML form, and then posting back that form, and then your page is is handling that hmm. postback, doing whatever it needs to do, and then re-rendering that same page. Of course, you can be redirecting to other pages and all that stuff, which use kind of similar mechanisms as you would in uh, in MVC in your controllers, mm-hmm. right? You've got a redirect method, you've got a file method, content method. In fact, many of those things are exactly as they are. They're they're literally the same mechanisms that MVC uh, provides you because this is all built on top of MVC. Got so it. So it's it's all very interesting the the way that it that it works. It, it seems like it's sort of uh, MVC. And Web API and Razor all just sort of updated for, for you know, so that it works well with today's modern JavaScript frameworks and and code and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well. So, but it is it's still very much server side. Yeah. Sure. So the the very interesting thing uh, that happened to me was in the very early days of .NET Core. Right. So this has nothing to do with with Razor Pages, but I promise I'll I'll make it relevant. Yeah. Later. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I I went to a hackathon. I went to the MVP Summit. And on the last day, we had a hackathon with the ASP.NET team. And so I came in 8, 8.30, you know, opened up my laptop, started coding. And around lunchtime, I look up and I realize that I'd spent about an hour, hour and a half using ASP.NET Core. And the rest of the time, I'd been building an Angular application. So I had huh. used ASP.NET Core to create my web API yeah, to host right. and manage my data. Yeah. And then I just, without even thinking about it, I jumped right to the client side right. and I started doing, I started doing client side stuff. And I mean, that, that might just speak to me that, you know, maybe I'm just more comfortable on the client side, but oh, I think most web developers today are spend more time on the client. I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. And so, you know, I've spent more, you know, more than 10 years on the server side. Mm. I'm very familiar on the server side, but now the client side, just generally speaking, seems to be the right place to be. And so that really, really took me by surprise. And so that was when I was evaluating ASP.NET Core. And now recently, as I've been evaluating Razor Pages, yeah, it's it's a great way. It's a very productive way to, to create uh, server-side rendered content. But what is the relevance of server-side rendered content these days? That's a good question. Right? I, I I mean, for me, uh, with with the power of the browser, and more importantly, um, the the browsers have matured so so far now that the browser is a development platform. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, I don't think these I don't think these frameworks like Angular and React and and all the other great ones, I don't think they are um, a better way to do DOM based development. I think they're kind of a validation of the fact that the 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 browser is a platform. It's yeah, there. Right. I think it's becoming the new smart client host. It's mm-hmm. just a host environment. And I think PWA really manifests that. As soon as as soon as you're no longer dependent on a connection and you can queue resources and like it, it, and you're running in the background, like tell me where the bra- where the web app ends and the app begins. There's just not that much difference anymore. PWA yep. being progressive web apps, just want to be the acronym police for for new listeners. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then it's very interesting where you you think about what belongs on the server mm-hmm. and and what belongs on the client. And for me, I mean it's interesting Richard that you bring up PWA apps, just apps in general, right? Because I think for me a very crucial part of an application 
But there's two things. First of all, there are websites, you know, very content driven marketing sites like mm-hmm. Walmart. Yep. And I'll get back to them, you know, smart brochureware. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Where you're just spitting out content and you're cashing the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're, you're just trying to deliver that page as fast as possible right. so mm-hmm. that you don't lose that sale. And then there are applications, yeah. web applications that happen to live on the web, happen to be built with web technologies, right. but applications where fill out your tax forms. don't press the back button (laughs) exactly exactly don't press the back button because the back button might might mess up your state right right? these applications are are things that you're opening up and you're going to be working on for a while and as you're working on them that application is going to keep track of your state that's right sure and so for me the different the real true differentiation of server side versus client side is not actually where it's rendered but where that state lives interesting yeah yeah. And so that, that was one of the big things as well with web forms is you had, uh, well, view state yeah. <laughs> was. It lived in both places. <laughs> it lived. Yeah, right. It, w- it was an attempt to capture and basically transmit along with the request, the state of that application. Yeah. Because we sure as heck don't want that state living on the server because that is very expensive. Right. But we are making server side calls. So the server needs to know about that right. state. Right. Right. And so that was their solution to that problem. And it tended to be pretty, pretty painful because you were trying to have that state living in two different places. Mm. Well, you stored it in a logical place, which was the client, but the person who actually mm-hmm. needed it was the server. So you had to keep hauling it up. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to, you know, this modern way now with a spa, with the Angular type frameworks and stuff is you compose your state on the client and only when you're ready to complete, do you finally haul it up to the server? Yeah, exactly. Piece the the server ends up acting as the data source. Right, right, right. That, just, that, just the repository. That, the, yeah, the data repository. And more importantly, it's stateless, right? Mm-hmm. To call that out very specifically. Uh, so that's that's really the architectural pattern that I've been driving toward a lot. And, you know, uh, as with anything, architecturally speaking, it depends, right? Sure. So this isn't a prescription. But I just see myself using this pattern and others using this pattern um, in a lot of places where you have these really stateless web API mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on the back end, you know, handling the data and even providing business logic and all of that stuff. Stateless, meaning, you know, the, the resources on the server don't have to be too intense. And that they tend to be pretty fast, right? Yeah. Because they don't have to rehydrate all that state. Yep. Right. And, and yeah. And then you keep that application state on the client where it should be. So you're not passing it back and forth. And then whenever you need to sync the, the, the client state, the changes you made to the data in the, on the client, and you need to sync that data back to the source, you make a web API call. It's, it's just like if you're on the server and you need to save that data back to a database. Sure. You know, you get to a point of consistency with a, with a client, right? Where it's like, you've done the validation on the client. You've accumulated the state on the client. You've gotten to a valid state with that state on the client. And now you're ready to ship it as opposed to all of my validation actually happens on the server. And I have to keep passing exactly. it back. Or I'm, you know, you think of the two, mo- the, the two models before we talk about the late ones. The old ones were like the view state where you're maintaining the state on the client, but you're constantly hauling it to the server to validate it. Or the maintain a token on the client, a.k.a. a cookie, hauling back to the server so the server can fetch state, va- uh, make a modification, make a validation, store again, go again. Both are right. slow. They move too much. They either move too much data or they are just too latent. But keeping the state yep. on the client whole, the whole time means 
it's got to be smart enough to get to a reliable state to say, this is something postable. This is something meaningful. There were good hacks, though. I remember uh, interviewing Dino Esposito, geez, back in the, probably within the first 20 podcasts, maybe, of .NET Rocks. And he had written a book that, you know, was like 9,000 pages long on ASP.NET. And I think it was when ASP.NET 2.0 came out. Uh, .NET 2. And he had a hack for using an event that happens on the server side in the session, I think, which was a pre and post storage. It was a fetch and a, a pre-fetch and a post um, send it back. What I, can, I can't remember the exact terms, but he used that to serialize the uh, session state and save it as a file. Just a, yeah. just a bunch yeah. of files on the file system because that was the fastest way to just persist data that, that could be uh, cleaned up later. And uh, I've, we, we used that and it worked really well. And of course, Richard, you know, worked with Strange Loop and they had a hardware device that, you know, made some of those problems go away in the middle. Yeah. But yeah. so there always yeah. been hacks, but you're right. right. I mean, there's, you don't want that. You right. definitely want this. Uh, we like this new world a lot better where, State is composed on the client and and uh, data just is as needed sent around, but only as needed. Yeah, I think that this is this became very obvious to me years ago when I was working on an ASP.NET uh, web forms application. And it was more of one of those wizard applications, right? It was yeah. effectively building this really big object, but I didn't want to run the validation on the whole object because I haven't gotten to step 10 right. yet. Right. You know, on step one, I don't want to run the full validation. Sure. I just want to run it when the user finally says, yes, I'm done. Right. Carl, you mentioned taxes earlier, right? It's yeah, the yeah. perfect example, right? Like, right. I don't want to submit the tax form or even validate it until I'm completely done. And so when I'm writing this in a web forms application and each of those steps in, a wi- in the wizard is a post back to the server, yeah. now I'm trying to figure out, you know, if I'm on step three, then go to the next step or just validate this much or whatever. And right. I'm jumping through all of these hoops. But there right? are validations that happen along the way, like as you, you know, as yeah. you're typing in your social security number and you put in a letter or something, and obviously that's not going to going to fly but those things can happen but you can validate little pieces of it but you're right the whole thing doesn't get validated until you push that button yep yeah and some can happen at the client and ultimately it happens at the server yeah yeah so i mean i think we're in an in, in an interesting world here i know i think it was somebody pretty sure it was somebody on your show a while a while back who was talking about the uh the peaks and valleys or the the ebbs and flows of client side versus server side mm-hmm. ui right and the, the yeah. history it was someone far more uh, experienced <laughs> and uh you know far more years under their belt than, than i but you know they were talking about we've seen we had you know thick clients early on and then it all went full onto the client and then it went back to the server and everything the real reason i'm, I'm really uh bullish on on the browser-based applications at this point, client-side browser-based applications, is because of, of what I mentioned earlier, uh, that the browser has just become a truly legitimate development platform right now. And in the beginning of, of the browser, you know, when we had things like jQuery helping us just kind of manipulate DOM better, it was really, really lacking. But now we've got a whole lot of the, the HTML5 APIs and, and all that stuff that, that and these really, really mature uh, and helpful frameworks like React and, and Angular where we can easily write full-blown applications on the server or on, on the client and uh, sync back to the server using technologies like, uh, like ASP.NET Core, ASP.NET MVC. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. 
Well, guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, man. It's time to pull out the strop to hone up our messaging on today's topic. So, here's a nice wet joke for you. Wet joke? Razor. Get it, Razor. Oh, save me. Pull out the strop, hone up. Jeez, do I have to explain all my jokes? (laughs) You're a genius. How come I have to explain my jokes to you, Richard? All metaphors. Not that sharp. (laughs) Oh! I'm I'm more of an electric guy. Sorry. <laughs> yep. It's actually it's, a- <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D experience subscription to one lucky member of the .net rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM, state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. And you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Mitchell Tilbrook. Congratulations, Mitchell. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Mitchell. Mitchell just won the D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from them, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And of course, you know what's coming now. Jess, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Ah, uh, yeah. So I, I, I'd spend it on two different things, two different categories of things, really. I got a whole list of stuff. I'd take probably the first 2,000 or so and uh, really beef up my 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 mini recording studio. So nice. I do the podcast, I do uh, lynda.com training videos and all of that. And yeah. uh, while I do have a decent, you know, headset and the, the audio equipment. Um, by I, the way, I'm looking at Jess right now. He doesn't just have a decent headset. He looks like an NFL broadcaster. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like, you need to be in a hurricane somewhere with that thing. <laughs> that looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's really nice. But my problem is I'm down in my basement. I got all this drywall. I got kids, you know, running upstairs. And yeah. so I'd, I'd take the money and kind of build a couple of walls, put some sound baffling in. Not not exactly technology, but really help my uh, help my audio. Well, it's funny you should say that because Richard and I both have these booths that we got at Pop Studios from soundsuckers.com. And they're six by four isolation booths. And uh, you can, and they cost exactly five thousand dollars. Yeah, so. I don't want to spend the whole five thousand on that. <laughs> Just saying, you could. <laughs> you could. because here. So more important to me, because the reason I haven't done that yet is because more important to me, I want to spend the rest of the money on uh, STEM stuff for my three daughters. Nice. So awesome. Yes, I've got three daughters. One of them, the oldest one, is seven and a half now, and so she's at that perfect age. Yeah. She's at that that transitional age, that key age where she's starting to look at her friends and her friends are starting to validate whether or not 
tech and STEM is cool, right? Right. right? right. And so I really need her. I don't need her. She can do whatever she wants to, but I need her to know that if she's interested in it, if she thinks it's cool, then, you know, don't worry about what they say. And, yeah. and honestly, the reverse, you know, sell them right. on it. Say, hey, th- it's cool. Check this out. Right. You be the leader. And that's why she's yeah, going exactly. to school in a HoloLens. don't shoot me with that thing (laughs) her friends will be like all scared (laughs) so the the number one thing that's on top of my list i mean i've been looking at mindstorms lego mindstorms for for years um but they're a little bit too expensive for me so what just came out is lego boost basically it's a mindstorms for first of all it's cheaper half the price uh, and it's a kit for seven to nine year olds. Wow. So it's like it is perfect for her because Aims, it uses yeah. basically a derivative of the the scratch program nice. on the iPad. And so it's all drag and drop. And so they're doing kind of that logic of, you know, move forward five times, then turn left once and then move forward. But, it, but it's all drag and drop. It's a very great interface. And they're creating Lego creations and making them move just like Mindstorms. That is so cool. It's it's really cool, and it's only like 160 bucks. So I probably right. maybe get a couple more of them. Maybe maybe one for her whole class. Christmas so can, presents. Uh, there you yeah, go. right. Yeah. Birthday presents. Uh, yeah, I'd, and I'd also probably get a mind mindstorm set or two also for when she gets older, so she can grow into it. The next thing is probably a couple of jewel bots. Yeah, jewel so, bots are cool. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cheap. I haven't quite gotten them yet because my my girls aren't, aren't old young. enough. Yeah. Um, Yes. And the cool thing is to put in a little plug, Sarah Chips is actually doing a workshop uh, for kids at the Tech Bash conference in October that, that I'm helping organize. Nice. So I'm really excited to, uh, to see them and, and play with them there. And hopefully my kids will come and, and play with them there too. So, and then finally, I mean, you know, what, what good is all of this stuff if you don't have a 3D printer, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at justifying my gadget purchases, but this is like the one thing that I haven't been able to come up with an argument. Well, for my wait wife. a minute. I actually have a video of a guy who made a, a 3D printer out of a Raspberry Pi and a table saw right. <laughs> <laughs> and Just a saying. hot glue gun. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so I am I can, so I far resistant to the 3D printer as well. I was I was waiting for any one of my girls to go, "Oh, I wish we had that." And boom, I would have gotten one. Yeah. Cuz they right? they right. do That's more 3D stuff than I would ever hope to do. They're all in the cosplay and crafting. It's like I can yeah. get a printer, never bit. Yep. I imagine the the most usage I would get out of it is 3D printing uh mousetrap replacement parts oh. for, the, for the game mousetrap. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> How cool is that? Brilliant. <laughs> How many times have you lost the basketball hoop? <laughs> <laughs> or stepped on it because yep, some kid left it on post. the foot? Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, That is a brilliant, brilliant idea. I love it. So what has been the reaction to, to Razor Pages? What's the, you said that you had some adverse reaction to people who just didn't like the change, but what about people who actually get into it? So that's interesting. Um, I think uh, it's pretty split. It is pretty split. You know, you had that reaction on the docks where it was, you know, burn it with fire. This is awful. This is going to encourage bad code. Mm. I already touched on that, right? It, it, yeah. is, it is not going to make you write bad code. Yeah, of course. That is a ridiculous statement, right? Um, I do see where they're coming from, though, in, in that, right? So I think when we're talking about frameworks 
making you write bad code or bad code in frameworks. It's really the way that the framework encourages you to do things, right? So yeah. when I talked earlier, as MVC creates a model view and controller, it's encouraging you, hey, put your logic in the model. Right. You know, you just do minimal stuff in the controller, just build up a model, a view model to give to the, the view right. and then make your view simple, right? And so in that way, as it combines those things together, you do run into, um, uh, I don't want to overstate it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the word dangerous, but it kind of encourages you to put everything in the view or at the very least in, in the back, in the code behind. Right. Page sure. right behind. Right. Now, if you are putting all of that logic in that code behind page and you can test that page um, and you don't have a giant application where you're trying to reuse all this logic and everything. Hey, yeah, sure. That'd be great. Right. right. I think the, the folks who are, are really disliking it are not they, they don't dislike the framework or the model per se they're really reacting to the fact that it doesn't really match their scenario it doesn't right. match their use case right and as you said before the server-side rendering is really there there's a handful of types of websites that really benefit from this right like exactly. blogs and news sites and marketing sites and things like that exactly exactly so right there's there's a ton of folks just just uh building very stateful applications with a lot of interaction on the client. Well, mm -hmm. why are you doing anything on, on the server, really, right, other than, right. than managing data, right? Mm -hmm. You should be on the client, right? Certainly. Uh, but yes, as, as, as you just said, as we said earlier, you know, there are folks like, like, like Walmart or, you know, those big uh, the folks who are just trying to, to generate content right. where it's pretty much a, a perfect fit, right? It, yeah. it is very much nice and simple. If you right now have, a, have an MVC application with a bunch of controllers that just say return view. Yeah. You might be a redneck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, but that, that's the interesting thing, though. Because Razor Pages is built on MVC, you don't have to choose. Yeah, sure. So yeah. you've got two avenues here. In your MVC application, you can just throw in a Razor Page or two. Right. You know, to, to satisfy those scenarios. Or vice versa. Your application starts small. It starts simple, quote, simple, right? Sure. And it starts with this simple thing where I just need to display some stuff and then maybe do a simple post back. And then it starts growing and building where then you grow into MVC. Then when you get too much logic in that Razor page, it's not that the model is encouraging you to put a lot of logic in there. It's mm. that you've probably outgrown Razor pages. Right. Right? At that point, maybe right. make a controller, make a view, make a model. And you know. Sure. And the interesting thing that I've been doing, it, doing with it lately as well is there's nothing stopping you from creating additional classes outside of this That's you right, know, yeah. view and code behind to actually hold all that logic. Right. You're not saying use it for everything. You're saying if you just have simple pages, then yes. you want to avoid all the ceremony, just use a Razor page. Exactly. Exactly. So there are there are these scenarios where where it is uh, it is working out really nice uh, and it is a really good uh, a good thing to have. Well, and it looks like something you can add into. You've got an existing MVC site and you're jumping through a few too many hoops for some of the features you're building, and suddenly a razor page yep. is a simple way to solve that problem. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense to me. So, is there anything else that we can talk about on the server side? Well, so I, I think that uh, it is very interesting to talk about server-side rendering of client-side applications. Right. right? This, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So sure, we're talking. We've been talking about an either-or proposition, and these days it's just really not. So it's very interesting 
to talk about the advances we've seen in things like Angular or React or um, I keep bringing up Walmart very specifically because they've recently, Walmart Labs, their kind of engineering department, they're very open about what they do. Um, they release a lot of open source projects, uh, the, the stuff that they're actually using on, on walmart.com and other sites. So they have a framework, a server-side rendering framework called Electrode. Uh, I believe it's Electrode.io. And so... What this framework does, as far as I could tell, it, it ties into React. So I haven't actually used this framework. I've just I've read a lot about it. And then similar to Angular Universal, right? Angular Universal right. is you've got an Angular app, and then Angular has server-side rendering. Universal, Angular Universal is kind of the, the, the spec of how you do that, sure. right? So that server-side obviously can be in any, any server-side technology mm. that you want, as long as it provides things to Angular that adhere to this spec. And then... I haven't looked into it too much, but React also has uh, some server-side rendering pieces. It looks like the most compelling one is that Redux can do server-side yeah. rendering. Right. So now, this is very interesting in that it looks like where most of these things focus on is rendering that initial page load, making that initial page load right. really super fast. Right. right. The reason I keep coming back to Walmart is because we just said that Razor Pages is kind of like the ideal, <laughs> the ideal uh, fit for something like Walmart where you're just rendering some com content and you're rendering it really fast. But Walmart wants to go above and beyond that, right? Walmart wants that. It wants that content that's rendered really fast and then it wants to do, it wants to produce a very engaging experience. Yeah, a spa-like thing. Yes, a spa-like yeah. experience. Not a whole lot of state right. because as you, as you move along the site, you're probably doing a full page you know, request to a different page and then yeah. loading that page again. But they, they definitely want those features that React gives you. And so it seems like these frameworks are all basically focused on making that first page load really, really fast, particularly with a focus on either rendering the data, getting collecting that data and basically hydrating that state mm -hmm. on the server, you yeah. know, dehydrating it, sending it over to the client. And then the first thing the client does is rehydrate it. And there you go. Mm. Or some of them are, are actually kind of rendering, pre-rendering views on the server as well. It's kind of the mm -hmm. two ways that, that you can approach it, that you can leverage server-side rendering in a client-side app. I mean, coming at it from a from a e-commerce performance perspective, like this is stuff we did at Strange Loop, where you're trying to get over the bounce rate. Like anything I can do to get someone engaged enough yep. to click on the second page. Right? Yep. That's my bounce is they only hit the first page and never went anywhere else. And I had sites that were successful and productive with an 80% bounce, which is yep. like they, uh, to me also spoke to, you got the wrong SEO. You're sending people to the site that they shouldn't go to. Yeah. But you know, this absolutely optimizing the landing page to the point where yeah. we had a tool inside a strange loop we were experimenting with that would just literally pre-render everything. So there was nothing additional being loaded images Everything you can think of on a page, just really put in the dock. One big page. Yep. So they just went, boom, it was fastest render possible yep. with the goal to get them to that next page. But, and, you know, I think you're hinting at a big thing here, which is that these spa models, your Angular and so forth, there's a bit of overhead for the first page. I mean, after that, browser cache takes over and it's not so bad, yep. but you make your landing yep. page suck and that hurts your bounce rate. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, Amazon is a great example, too, because, you know, the 
even when you're taking that whole page, clearly there's a lot of conversation about above the fold, below the fold. You know, if you if you can't see it, if it's below what you're actually looking at on your monitor, why right. are you even rendering it at all? Right, you know, that's sure. secondary almost by definition. But even on even above the fold, even what you're looking at, there's even some key information there too. You know, on, on something like Amazon. You got the, the the pictures of the product, the description, the price, the name, you know, those those 10, 20, 30 things that just need to be there. Everything else can kind of load dynamically, you know, load load after the fact. Right. And so you can yeah. you can mix these styles whereas you're pre-rendering a lot of stuff on the server and then shipping that down to still use a client-side framework still have a client-side experience, uh, but pop up those uh, very important things right away and then load that other stuff. That was one of the sneaky things we did with landing pages is that after the page was rendered, then we ran JavaScript and started preloading resources you yep. were going to need mm -hmm. for subsequent pages. So you still got your spa experience. You just didn't, the customer couldn't tell they paid the spa penalty because we distracted yeah. them with something else. <laughs> The real danger that you get in here is trying to mix it, mm -hmm. right? right? Trying to mix that client side and server side. So I've tried, I've seen other people try to basically render something using a, a server side rendering framework like Razor Pages, render that on the server and kind of import it or bring it into tied into an already existing running client side application like Angular, you know, and it's just, it's the state problem. Right. You know, the state of your client side has has drifted. Mm. Uh, it, it's just completely different than what's on the server than the server knows about, unless you're trying to keep them in sync, which is just a nightmare as well. Mm -hmm. And so, but but where I've seen this really, really work, I, I was working years ago at a place, I'm not really sure I can say the name, but one of the things you could do in the application was open up an article. Okay. You know, and so this article is tons of text. And this text was marked up with links and everything, Right. Uh, and so because we were in spa land, we were building a spa, our initial implementation of that was go and grab the data of that article, go and grab that article as text right. and then render it as HTML in the browser. Yeah. Ridiculously slow, mm. insanely slow. Even if we did something like we were talking about, you know, even if we hydrated it on the server and then and, and dehydrated it on the client, just rendering it, it was costly. Yeah. Yeah. Just rendering it was really, really slow. Mm -hmm. And so we just took the content of that article, created an endpoint in the, in the, uh, the web API at that point, mm. and it returned HTML. And then at that point, we took that HTML, plopped it in the DOM. You know, it was yeah. still a little bit exp expensive, but hey, it was a big article. It was a lot of text. Yep. And so that, that was a really good approach to kind of merge the two. Again, the key thing there being there was no state in this article. You know, it, literally everyone in the world who would read this article reading the same exact article. Mm -hmm. So there's there's not even any dynamic parts of it. There no was cache. Uh, <laughs> it, exactly yeah the, on the server it was cached right it was it was, it was cached yeah. uh, very no, aggressively. Nothing to cache that's dynamic, right? Yeah. 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 And then I've also applied these other techniques of, you know, hydrating on the server and then rehydrating in, in the client, that initial data payload. You don't you don't have to be using Angular Universal or, or Electrode to do that. You can mm -hmm. kind of home roll that too, though it is very interesting that it, this is becoming more more mainstream, right? This is becoming one of those key features of these of these client side applications. So So when it comes to mixing the two, you're okay with the landing page model being server side rendered. Yes. But the moment you're yes. going to start managing state, get to the client and continue operating. Yes. At, at a very high level, it's the difference between are you writing a website or a web page that is delivering is primarily content focused, sure. even if there is interaction, mm -hmm. right? Is it content focused versus an application that you're going to be living in for a while and 
again, more specifically, you're going to be building state. You're going to be yeah. manipulating state, and right. that state will be changing. And you can mix them in, in the same site, right? You can jump from page to page. One page is content focused, and the other is, uh, you know, has, has state and is more of an application. So what's next for you? What's on? What's in your inbox? Well, so I'm uh, I'm actually working on a Razor Pages uh, course for Lynda.com. You know, not not to pitch that too much here. That's fine. But, uh, after that, coming up after that is uh, Tech Bash, the Tech Bash conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a relatively new. We had the first one last year, but it's a new dev conference uh, in in Northeast in mm-hmm. the Northeast U.S. So it's actually in the Poconos Mountains, cool. in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's at the Kalahari. <laughs> Another Kalahari. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, another Kalahari, and that is that's no uh, coincidence. <laughs> we were we were introduced. Nice. Yep. Yeah, we yeah. were going to speak last year, but we couldn't make it work. Yeah, scheduling. That yeah, was, uh, we're trying to get you guys. We would right. love to have you guys. In. Yes, yeah. I know. Yeah. Our schedules are a bit hairy, and they're getting hairier. <laughs> <laughs> so that that it's only our second year. We're still growing, but you know, it's a lot of fun, and it's interesting the way you can spin things, right? Because last year we only had four hundred attendees, and so we were able to call it an an intimate conference. You right. can go and have fun, you know the the, the attendee to speaker ratio was was such that you could go and have an intimate conversation with the speakers sure. and so yeah, and it's like you're in a stadium right right <gasps> it's fun it's fun. obviously we're hoping to grow we're hoping to build out but uh it's it is what it is and honestly it's uh, it's very much very fun and getting a lot of good feedback awesome jess thanks a lot it's been a pleasure to talk to you yeah thanks for having me on this is make sure you come back again definitely all right we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.